0: Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of the Asian Cinema Film Club. This is episode 43 and tonight we're going to be looking at the cinema cool as we check out Tokyo Drifter. But before we obviously get into that, I think it's of course time as always to even start by introducing who everyone is, which would be a really great start. Um, I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me of course is my co-host, the Professor Stephen Palmer.
1: Hello, hello, hello.
0: Um, and on tonight's show, we're going to be checking out similar core as we look at Tokyo Drifter. Uh, but before we obviously get into that, we're going to be obviously asking what you've been watching and Stephen, since the last episode, what has been holding your interest as always.
1: Well, you know, like the last few episodes, I've been able to say, I have watched nothing. Yes. I well, I haven't watched anything Asian. Okay. the Last episode, um, I um. I, uh, what have I, what have I, I have seen a couple of films. Um, uh, I just went to see Arnando Nucci's um, David Copperfield, Personal History of David Copperfield. Okay. Um, absolutely fantastic. I'm not a Dickens person at all. Um, but it's just this wonderful, glorious ode to stories and storytellers. Um, I'm sure if you were a... Uh, A Dickens academic, you'll detest every second of it, but I absolutely bathed in it and thought it was marvellous. And um, I think last time I spoke about the Takashi Mikey first love film, I've um, reviewed that now up at intheirownleague.com. So you should be able to find my review of that there. If it's not there, it's there in a couple of days, and also for them. I reviewed the Taylor Swift documentary on Netflix and decided it was a cry for help from somebody who's trapped in a cult <laughs> because <laughs> it was a very strange movie that I, I, I feel I'm the only person who saw it the way I did. Okay,
0: Now that Taylor Swift documentary it's it much like the Birds of Prey um, film which has obviously come out now. It just seems to have been part of this, this whole new division line that's happening on the Twitter front lines where we've got female critics criticising men critics for not... for for not getting films which are uh, obviously aimed at a female audience initially yeah. um and uh praising female critics for obviously recognizing it so we've got a real gender war sort of really erupting on on uh twitter and then there's obviously folks like ourselves who are just sort of like not involved in anything yeah. and just on the stand lines just like doing our own thing
1: so it's a really bizarre I mean, situation but, but... to be in don't get me wrong. I love Taylor Swift. I think she's magnificent. Um, but this documentary is a—it's a party political broadcast on behalf of Team Swift. Okay, and there are li- and there are little cracks in it, because because it only hears from her, yeah, yeah? or a version of her, and everything just feels a little bit false. And then it sort of goes out and sort of has a go at a few of her critics, um, Kanye and. Um, the guy that molested her, and a few, you know, people that are rightly should be shouted out, but there's no other voices, and then there's mysterious voices that aren't heard from at all, like the guy Scott Boschetta who basically created her, like what's going on with Scooter Braun and who's who's got all the rights to her music, yeah. like cats yeah so so any any battle she's not going to win is not mentioned her boyfriend um yeah her boyfriend's an actor right i understand british actor i understand that he doesn't want to be known as taylor swift's boyfriend get that but the way the film is made is that he's he's like this ghost on the periphery (laughs) that's never really quite seen there's no so and he's never named and so you could look at that movie in five years time and say she's moved on and nothing has to happen because he never was part of the history. And the whole thing feels like there's this there's this talented young woman who's trapped within this industry. And there's a lot of people who make a lot of money out of her. I mean she makes a lot of money herself. And it's 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 like I don't know, it's like a Scientology video or something like that. Okay. And and but I'm seeing lots of reviews that saying, Oh yeah, this is this is a really good thing, there's a really you know, because cause she does say some things which we already knew, like her battles with, with body image and with bulimia and things like that. And so that, that's not unimportant, but there's something really insidious going on. I have a feeling I might get kicked off the league because I <laughs> I had a go at it. But it was, you know, it, 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 as a documentary, it made me think when actually it was meant to be a puff yeah. piece. So, strange.
0: Netflix have been putting out some weird documentaries, especially with music documentaries, because yeah, the Lady Gaga documentary was a bit weird. And mm. it's kind of bizarre that you obviously say about Taylor Swift's boyfriend not being involved. And we look back at like the original, um, you know, Kiss and uh you know, reveal all music documentary, Madonna's, um, True yeah, Madonna's Dare. True or Dare. Warren Beatty is in that. Yes, he's sort of like happy to be on the sidelines because, you know, it's Madonna's film. And you, know, and you know he's Warren Beatty he's got his own sort of fame but he's there he's like oh I'm Madonna's boyfriend and you know he's seen in the film he's not this hiding away going because I don't want to be associated with my partner so and he was I no, mean he I was mean, dating Madonna I mean an icon not just some <laughs> flash in the pan sort of uh, pop star so
1: yeah a, a very all round just really strange thing and um i wasn't i just i just watched it because i had an evening and i picked it up as a as a as a um, as a job to review and it's i can't i've to be honest with you, it's impacted me all week I, can't, I, I feel i feel we need to go across to louisiana and rescue her or something but i do feel i'm the only person seeing it so i feel like some crazy person <laughs> that's i'm the only one who sees this <laughs> and that, can't, that can't be true how about yourself mate um, what have you
0: watched well now you're saying this i'm just wondering when we're going to get the great k-pop documentary because we obviously had the noisy documentary put out by vice uh which was really interesting obviously looking at their their culture for uh, pop music which i thought was really interesting but it seems there's not been a a a good a k-pop documentary which really surprised me or even just like something on like a documentary on someone like Baby Metal and that sort of, sort of, uh sort of fantasy metal side of thing that we had obviously become such a boom out of uh, Japan, really. But
1: yeah, I mean, K- K-pop's interesting, and I imagine there'll be some dark sides of K-pop. It was interesting. I was in Bath today, not in the bath. I was in the town of Bath. In southwest england um visiting my daughter was at university there and we went into hmv and hmv there upstairs has a k-pop section now um it's all bts it? <laughs> <laughs> like a of, of very and the things clearly have been imported from YesH yeah. or something like that. there were a couple of black pink things but but mostly it's these I, I don't know if you've ever bought any korean records but they always do these wonderful sort of box sets with pictures and postcards in and and, and you really do feel like you're getting quite a lot of value for your money rather than just a shiny disc so the the world of the download has a a battle on its hands there but yes it was interesting to see that but I guess the problem is with the K-pop stuff is firstly it's another insidious exercise isn't it of, of these young people being driven to well we've talked about it before yeah, haven't we? <laughs> suicide and hard work and eyelid operations to, to give them double lids and and um there was the one there was a you know that they all get breast implants and things like that and and so there's insidious that they probably don't want to announce but on the other hand there are quite a lot of um like reality shows so like the band Two anyone um had a reality show maybe two seasons of it um uh what's her name boa boa had a reality show where she ran a uh a guest house (laughs) um so 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 there is a view of what this insidious stuff's going on they're also very out there um and, and and very exposed to publicity so i will be interested in five six years when they do that what really happened to bts thing. yeah you know, that'll be um that'll be fascinating
0: because I, I mean we while it's obviously established that you know pop music's a machine it's like over there it's actually just a production line and we saw this in the noisier uh, documentary where it's just like like they have this room and it's like 50 um 50 boys girls um sort of like training together, like just the fact that they know that they're going to be like separated off, and they're all going to be assigned personalities, and the fact that you start off as a group, and if you're talented enough, you get to be a solo artist, and you've also got to be like a an actor, and you've got to have all these other sort of strings to your bow compared to over here, where it's, it seems to challenge enough for him just to be a singer. <laughs> Never mind do anything else. So
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, we have got the example of um, so sort of one of one of the bands that was. Popular before it really became hugely Western popular was to anyone one And um, that's sort of the, the lead girl there. I mean, the fourth, but the lead <coughs> girl was, was CL. CL. Mm. And they've been desperately trying to turn her into a Western pop star. Um, they basically split the band up moved her to america got to hang out with deep Low and will i am and people like that and 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 put on the james Corden tonight you know they've been a really concerted effort and it's just not happened just hasn't resonated with 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 the international k-pop audience even though they all know who she is but she just hasn't made that that step and then around christmas time she released all these these songs we've been waiting for the album for years but the these songs have all come out and they're all dated and they're all basically shades on the record company <laughs> <laughs> um, but but in, in, and the videos are as well there's like there's like um, maybe six seven songs on two EPs and, and all of them are from this period of time where they were trying to turn into a super pop star and they're all incredibly critical and I just wonder if that's what it will take if it will take one of the big names to turn, to 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 defect <laughs> over to, to, to America or something like that, and really, really expose it. I don't know. We should get Steph on to talk about. We this. should. We
0: should. Um, we should. Cause she's when she's not making us all feel just like really old. Because whenever she compiles the mixtapes for us, she like comes along and she puts into this list, and it's like, who are these people? <laughs> these these pretty boy bands that uh, she loves to to throw at us. So. We will we will get something worked out, and we're we'll going to come and share her knowledge of K-pop and and things with us. But um, on the movie side of things, I saw Stephen Chow's Love and Delivery from '94, um, which is fun. I couldn't remember if this was the one that you That's were really obsessed with or
1: not. So it's 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 a real it's it's one of my favourites, yeah. but it's also a bit of a deep dive. Um you'll like it because there's an Ultraman joke isn't there <laughs> there's is an Ultraman joke <laughs> it, yeah. Right. Um... Um, so it's not it's not a, it's not a, it's not one of the one of the sort of the famous classics it's not a king of cookery or or, or king of comedy or, or uh, god of cookery wasn't it or um, Shaolin Soccer or nor is it um, you know like Royal Tramp or anything like that it's one of those ones which sort of fits nowhere I can't think the, the woman in it's famous isn't she um, oh, uh, on, Chrissy there's, Chunk? There's at least one. Yeah, maybe it was her. Anyway, it's 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 one of those ones that you don't often come across, but it's actually one of the favourites of mine. I have. Has it got judo in it? Yes, it? it does. Or karate or something. Some some strange martial art. I know that that not strange, but that's not usually mentioned in in sort of in cinema so much. And uh, yeah, I I really like it. it. It's it's a nice sort of modern day. Stephen Chow show showpiece, but probably was one of four films he released that year and just sort of got lost
0: yeah I mean this one's on uh, Netflix so Netflix over here in the UK which means it's probably everywhere because that's how our catalogue works um, and basically he plays a dim sum delivery boy who falls for a beautiful judo student and he sets out to get trained by this real half-assed karate um, instructor who also runs a convenience store um, initially he challenges her really gropey uh, judo teacher um, at the same time his the, because of the way he's been taught he feels he has to have a mask which turns out to just be a Garfield mask so initially he sets out to um, to beat up her her judo teacher and then ends up uh, fighting a love rival who's taken the credit for his heroics so it's really really surreal and it falls into that, just usual, Steven Chow pattern of the unlikely martial arts hero, and it features some really random Craddy Kid uh, style teaching sessions. Which, I mean, it puts the guy, the training in uh, in um, kickboxing, to shame. Some of the stuff that we see here, and I, I really like the the whole build up to this big fight scene. Like you've got the real serious. Um, Karate guy, he's going up against, who's uh, and then every time they cut to him, he's supposed to be training, he's like in a restaurant, or he's going to a karaoke bar, or hanging out by the pool. And it's uh, it's just as I say, it's just a really fun, slapsticky comedy. And uh, I think, it...
1: yeah, it's 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 a fun, funny enough, it's one that I was thinking of bringing to the show, but. I probably won't now. We've done it, um, but it's—I think it's a bit of a, a bit of a hidden gem. Um, and also, I've just—I've just chuckling here behind the scenes because <laughs> you reminded me about the Garfield mask, <coughs> and I never really understood that no. at all. I, I don't understand. But funnily enough, in the um, in the American TV show Fresh Off the Boat, um, Constant Wu show, which, which you know yeah. is about Taiwanese family. Um, who've who emig- immigrated to America in the in the nineties. Um, the grandmother is obsessed with Garfield, and now I'm beginning to think that maybe Garfield has some resonance in Asia, <laughs> certainly within sort of ch- ch- Chinese Asia that I was unaware of. So now I'm going to have to go and find out why 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 these two things go on about Garfield all the time when I thought it's uh, it's one of the most American things I can I can think of.
0: Oh yeah, well, I mean they're uh, fresh off the boat. I mean it's based on Eddie Wong's book, uh, Fresh Off the Boat, which I thought would be real funny, but it's kind of like that uh, comedy comedy through the pain style mm-hmm. memoir, which um, I couldn't really get into the sense his sense of humor, so I didn't ever finish it. But the show's really funny. I think it's
1: really really funny. So and it's uh yeah, just 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 about to end. But oh um, yeah, Constance Awkwafina <laughs>
0: Constance Wu's
1: not happy Kofina about it. Awkwafina's so. about to replace it. Oh, is it? Well, she didn't want to do the yeah. So 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 Constance Wu didn't want to do the final series because no. she thought it had ended, <laughs> and had made had and to be fair, I think what she was saying was that she signed some call, was about to sign some contracts to to further a movie yeah. career, and suddenly they said, "Hey, we're back," and it's not even a full series, I don't think, and I, and I think she just reacted badly to it. But obviously, her her movie career is beginning to take off. With um, obviously, she she hit it big with. Um, uh filthy rich Asians whatever it was called, dirty crazy rich Crazy Rich Asians, not dirty Asians. Dirty Rich Asians. Yeah, cr- uh, dirty Crazy, something they were just rich. And also, um, I believe she had a pretty big role in Hustlers. Yep. The um Oh god. Jenny from the Blocks yep. film. Um <laughs> and and I think I think it's just just fell at like a bad time. I don't think it's been shown over here, but I've I've really enjoyed it the last three or four years. I think it's a really interesting and, and fun you know, three, three camera comedy um,
0: Yeah, it's been it's but, on Amazon,
1: that, it's, it's just waiting on the last one at the but,
0: moment, which is really really frustrating uh, when they do that, okay. but I mean I'm still waiting for Kim's Convenience Season 4 as well which I believe is showing over in Canada at the moment, but I've got to convince Kim to like Put on a Skype and point it at the T V when it's on or something. So.
1: <laughs> but yes, Awkwafina obviously has just her her I think it's a Netflix show. Oh awesome. I think it's, can't remember. Um she's she's now got her own uh, sitcom, so and I think we've spoken about her before. We're both fans, I think. And um that will be that will be interesting. So it's interesting to start seeing some Asian faces in in Hollywood, really. American Asian faces. Um but, you know, they're still, they're still very much the exception. There are more presidential candidates than uh, mm. <laughs> being represented than actors and actresses, unfortunately.
0: You're also going to think that this is only going to be the third Asian American Asian comedy. Because, obviously, mm. when, we, when we look at the list, I mean, we had Margaret Cho's All-American Girl, which is the original one. Then we have Fresh Off the Boat. Kim's Convenience would be also classed as well. And now we've obviously got Awkwafina, so that's four. Um, and I mean it's I mean, I like Call American Go. I know that uh, Margaret Shaw had some like real production issues making it in like the demands that they put upon it, and there's an episode with her boyfriend Quentin Tarantino um that she did with Tarantino. It's just basically Tarantino jokes all the way through, which I thought was really funny, but lucky apparently mm. didn't. When I showed it to him over on there, he didn't sleep bad, so... I was like, oh my god, this, I'm sitting there watching, going, this is the funniest thing ever, and he's like, no, this is just, like, one bad pun after another, so...
1: <laughs> no, I haven't, I've never seen that, but it, it, I, I'm aware of it, and I, I'm aware of Margaret Cho, she's a... She's a very entertaining lady. She is.
0: She's that sort of female uh, daily critic, like Michelle Wolf that I like, so... Mm. Um but then again Michelle Wolf's show um she never been cancelled after one season either, so
1: uh this isn't the show for that man. I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so
0: yeah, I've at the moment I'm I'm trying to work through all the Asian films that I've sort of stored up on Netflix because I keep every time I see something on that I keep adding it to w- watch this and just never watching it so there's a whole bunch of uh, stuff on there that I need to, to get cleared off but obviously that was the the first one um, I've got Justice My Foot to watch and I've also got um, Last Caution to uh, which I'm I'm oh. going to be watching after the show as well so I will have a oh, v- just, that
1: Justice My Foot is probably my favourite Stephen Chow movie. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. um, and sort of a callback to previous episodes. And Anita Mui is, is his co-star in yeah. it. And I will... I, I'm pretty sure I must... Did I bring this up in our 50 favourite films? I'll, I'll be surprised if I didn't. But she is... She out-funnies Stephen Chow it's Anita's film um, it, it's it's uh, it's a, it's one of those period ones where he's a I, don't know, I think he's a judge or something like that there's a few films in, in that in that sort of period comedy period drama sort of thing that he does but she is amazing as his wife and um, I really hope you enjoy it because it's 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 one of my favourite Stephen Chow's. Um, Last caution. That's a completely different sort of film.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm f- I've watched the first piece of your Ang Lee. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm obviously watching it because over on Movies and Tea, we're doing our Ang Lee season. Um, our episode on Crouching and Tiger Hidden Dragon has just gone up as of uh, as of this recording, so you can check that out over there. And um, I don't know what it is with Ang Lee. I love his. Hit w- I love it when he makes Asian cinema. When it comes to like when he's making Western cinema, it's a little bit of mess. I think with the wedding banquet, it falls in that sort of in between line. But it, I mean, it's still included as part of his Father Knows Best trilogy, which he uh, obviously debuted with. But when we look at his Asian cinemas, like Crash and Tiger and Dragon, and like the um, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, um, and um, Pushing Hands these are just all really really incredible films and then when we look at his sort of western films and things like sense of sensibility the ice storm and uh life of Pi*, it just doesn't seem to have the 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 same sort of um hold over myself even as good as *Brokeback mountain was um it just it just never seems to hit the same sort of uh notes that his agent sim- c- cinema does so
1: I mean, I, I'm sure you'll speak about this over in uh, movies and tea. But of course, last caution was 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 blacklisted and blacklisted Tang Wei, the the main actress, and she had to come over and live in Reading, where I live, <laughs> for a couple of years to um to to get away from the uh, the grief that she was getting from the Communist Party and from the netizens. Yeah. Um, obviously she's gone back now and and, and sort of resurrected her career. But uh, yeah, I I do think last caution is to me, feels more like his American works. But I'll be interested to hear what you and Kim have to say I mean, I'm,
0: I'm kind of cautious as well, because it's an erotic thriller, and Ang Lee cannot shoot sex scenes for Toffee. He does not do sexy well. It has to be said, it's like every time he tries to shoot a sex scene, it always comes off as, like, the most awkward thing possible, so...
1: Yeah, I, it, it's yeah. I'll, I'm I'm not going to spoil okay. it for you, um, <laughs> or 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 your audience over on the other podcast. Yeah, but, uh, it, it, it it's okay. Okay, um, I'll damn it with faint praise. Um, I mean, also on Netflix
0: now we can get the whole of the Ghibli um, catalog, which is really exciting. Unless you're in the states, um, where you have to wait for HBO now, who have bought the rights to it. So, um, go us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> finally, finally, finally a UK win. Netflix win something. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, it, it's I mean it's it's kind of kind of cool to have it because I mean we have the the films in such high rotation over here anyway because of film four, so it's uh, kind of bizarre to have them just on demand finally. So there'll be uh, no more of those like just taping more and then just deleting more because you need the space on the box. So, but is there any particular the, the uh, films you're most excited to see? Of well, the what? Ghibli bag catalog, which ones are you to be most oh. excited to like have on 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 demand for yourself?
1: I I, I again, I, I know I'm not normal. I mean, whilst whilst I love the the Totoros and the Moana OKs and the and the and the Spirited Aways, it's the it's it's the personal ones. Like only yesterday, yeah, which. I really love the sort of the human stories which lack the fantastical element there's um only yesterday in particular there's there's a moment in it where it's basically it's a, it's a woman's recollection of her childhood and she remembers when her father comes home just after the war i think with a pineapple and they've never seen a pineapple before they don't know what it is they don't know how to eat it all they know is it's an amazing thing (laughs) and and they find and they don't even know how to open it and they sort of work it out and eat it and and that memory and i guess i'm getting to that age mate where where those kind of childhood memories you get are are both important to you and you kind of worry are they my memories are they memories of other people that have told me about are they memories of things i've seen on tv or films (laughs) and and so that 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 film about that 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 sense of nostalgia is very much where i am in my life um uh, at, at the moment um, and there's a, there's a couple of others that are, that are like that, they're not Miyazaki ones um, and they've got a slightly different art style but you know you can't really go wrong with any of them, I don't think there's a stinker I can't think of a stinker um, I, I'm not a huge fan of Arietti, but it's still a beautiful thing you know um, Yeah, can you think of any stinkers? Tales of Mercy <laughs> I suppose so, but even that <laughs> <laughs> which is sun
0: directed <laughs> he walked out of halfway through <laughs> yeah um yeah that oh i'm trying to think really cuz i'm just going going through my head here i mean yeah the later ones aren't aren't particularly as 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 good i mean cuz yeah arhi is the one uh what's the one with the fish girl i didn't really get on with that ponyo, ponyo i i wasn't sure exactly what was going on with that, and the animation didn't really do much for myself either. Um, it's also noticeable; "Grave of the Fireflies" is still missing as well.
1: Yeah, which is—is um, is that technically a Ghibli? Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: I mean, it's I, included I, in the collection, I, 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 so. I had had it in my head; it wasn't technically one. I mean, yeah, that's. Um, I mean, I say I like human stories. <laughs> that's that's one of the darkest um, animations ever. Um, I'm um, definitely one I want to bring to the show. Um so that's interesting that that's missing I wonder why. Because we we've got
0: that and I mean we've got Cagliostro, which is there. So yeah. which is obviously the other one which is can be disputed because it was before the formation of the company but we obviously mm. still include it because of um because of obviously, uh, of 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 him directing it. so um but uh, yeah it's uh it 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 makes me obviously wonder. I mean, w- will we eventually see it on there or not? It's uh, it it's weird that it always seems to be excluded. I mean, yes, it is dark, but at the same time, it's still a very important film. So
1: ah, right. So it was. I'm just having a look now. Thank you, Wikipedia. So it um, it was animated by Ghibli for the stories publisher. Shinchosha publishing make it the only Studio Ghibli film under Takuma Shoten ownership that had no involvement from them. So I think the publishing rights are owned by somebody different than the not, so so the the the, the overall owners, um, Takuma Shoten is probably who Netflix have have done with got a distribution deal with, and that film doesn't count. Right. But yes, definitely a a special movie.
0: Well. Tonight, uh, then we are going to find out if *Parasite* can finally pick up the Best Film Award at the Oscars. So,
1: so, so as we're recording, Oscars are about to start, I think. <laughs> and,
0: Everyone said, "Oh, I'm going to watch uh, the Oscars," but you always forget there's like 500 like technical categories that nobody cares about.
1: <laughs> wasn't? That, isn't that all done earlier in the day? I don't. I don't, I don't know, know. It um, seems to go on for like hours,
0: and it's like.
1: I gotta say, we're, we're a UK podcast yeah and that we wouldn't i do record late but last week it was a bloody super bowl <laughs> and, and a whole bunch of people came into work after being up to 3 30 we're good for nothing the same thing's gonna happen this week america put everything earlier please
0: <laughs> exactly so at the moment, I mean, the film itself... Uh, Permanent Parasite has obviously one Film Not in the English Language from the BAFTAs, which is a real questionable use of the English language how they named that award, so...
1: Yeah, they had to change it from Best Foreign Film or something like that a few years ago.
0: Um, so, at the moment, obviously, Bong Joon-ho and his translator, Sharon Cho, have been uh, doing the rounds, and uh, it, they've become quite the double act. It's always quite quite funny mm. the fact he's kept the same translator the whole way through. So, but uh, do we? I mean, do, will it buck the trend? I mean, a lot of people are saying that it's not going to. It's pulling in to win best foreign film, and that the top contender is probably going to be Joker to win best film. Um,
1: well, I I think nineteen seventeen. That would be uh, that would be another that, f-
0: win like Moonlight, where it's like, why the hell do yeah. we vote for this? For-
1: because, because, but it's just, it just is Oscar It It's right? terrible, and, and and they love war films and things like that. And anyway, that's my belief. Could be wrong. Ironically, you're able to edit this to say whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> you look like that. I don't think Joker's going to win Best Film. I think Waking Phoenix is going to win Best Actor. Yeah. Um, I think that will be Joker's um, success. I think uh, Parasite will win Best foreign uh, best film not in the english language although it should be pain and glory i think that um <laughs> i i i, I and, and again you know you know my feelings on parasite i uh clearly a lot of money's being thrown at this and they've had bong john ho's been over in the states for about a month now. now um it's had a second release over in the states with as you mentioned with the with the the Wah release which is still beyond my understanding of why um uh, which was the the yeah this is just just bizarre but they're really really going for it i see today there's articles on cnn on the bbc all pimping parasites um which is great but it won't win best film um and, i mean and you know my thing of it it's not even bong john ho's best film <laughs> it's, it's the love the love for it seems extreme compared to what it is i mean you know, to be fair, you haven't seen it, and, and we can't argue about it. No, but um, I mean, it's
0: only weird. just this week come out in the UK, which is it's so annoying when we obviously look at the films which always are always being nominated for like Oscars and Baftas and stuff because obviously they're sent over for consideration to the voting board like months and months ahead, um, so of of them obviously coming out. So it's really frustrating when you see like these films like come up and it'd be like for nomination It's like we're, it's not really been seen how are we supposed to like get behind th- this voting and stuff so with Parasite, it's really frustrating the fact that it's taken so long to come over here to the uk uh for a film which is obviously generating so much buzz so much criticism you would have thought they would have been really fast track so
1: well and, and james james who um James Kane, who, who works with me on one of the other podcasts I do, um, he's in New Zealand and he said he saw Parasite back in July. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, there is that obviously in New Zealand, there's a big right, Asian, Japanese and, and Korean community there. Um, probably more than there is in the UK, but you know, it, and I guess it's counted as the Pacific Rim, so it's, they got that release, but he, he saw it, he saw it way before the hype. Yeah. Um. Now, James is a big fan of Asian cinema, so you know he, he's a big backer of it. But it's just odd that that was out June, July. In, I mean, normally we're used to Australia and New Zealand getting things last, right? <laughs> that's, that's the normal weather. World. They, they, they had it months ago. I, I have no idea why it's taken so long. Um, but we just don't get subtitled films, do we? They, they just don't get runs in the, in the Cineplexes, um, the, the, the Takashi Mikey film. Um, First Love, which I reviewed, is getting, I think, another one-day release on the 14th. So on Friday, Friday Valentine's Day, you can go and see that film at the cinema, and then that will be it. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying it deserves a longer run, but we just in the UK have a really strange relationship with subtitled movies. Yeah, definitely um, so. It's very, very odd. You know, even even in the independent cinemas, they just don't tend to. Unless the French New Wave, you just won't get to see them.
0: Come, uh, obviously, still on the award talk, we have to say thank you to Film Stories who named us their British Movie Podcast of the Week. So thank you very much to Film Stories, and uh, I also have to say thank you to uh, to M who uh, gave us some very very nice. Uh, Words when uh, she wrote about the podcast over on there. So if you head over to filmstories.co.uk, you can check that out and uh, see what they had to say about ourselves. And uh, yeah, thank you very much.
1: Yay! We need a sound effect. <laughs> we we should put it put it on the tagline on the description. So... But no, it was it was it was it was really nice, and it's nice to be recognised by by people outside of our circle. Mm if that makes sense um obviously you're quite active in various film communities um <laughs> which probably is why we haven't <laughs> been
0: nominated for any vintage.
1: <laughs> yeah it's probably probably need to keep you quiet really is the answer but no um no it was just, it was just nice because it's it's a legitimate site with um a really interesting uh, reason for being so they don't want to be clickbait um and i, I i'm quite proud that we've been uh, we've been recognized by them yeah myself. definitely um Emma, who obviously did the writing, but she also
0: has her own uh, podcast as well called Verbal Diorama, which is uh, really worth checking out. Yeah. Uh, so if you haven't done it already, give that a listen. And I also want to say thank you to not only Stephen and the rest the team, but also the team here at the uh, AC Film Club because I want to thank like David, um, who does it does the Movie Vault series over, on, sorry, the Movie Vault series over on the blog, and I want to thank Steph, who we've obviously talked about already for making us all feel like very old men with her podcast uh, with her mixtape construction so um, good work team so thank you uh, to them and you know thank you to you all for continuing to listen to us as well it's really appreciated so as we head towards episode 50 which we have got of course a suitably legendary movie for we're we're hopefully going from strength to strength so Hopefully, if you're not joining us off uh, from film studies, welcome. And uh, hopefully, you uh, you enjoy checking out our back catalogue of episodes that we have over on our blog, uh, which is agentsimifilmclub.wordpress.com. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, time now for our feature presentation, which tonight is Tokyo Drifter. <laughs> きても流れ者どうせさすらいひとりみの明日はどこやら風に聞け可愛いあの子の胸に聞けああ東京流れ者 Okay, tonight we're going to be talking about Seijin Suzuki's Tokyo Drifter A film with which Along with her branded to kill Managed to see him blacklisted Um for a period of 10 years before he returned with pistol opera a gender switch twist on uh, branded to kill but tonight uh, we are going to be obviously talking about Tokyo drifter which is from 1966 it's a yakuza movie shot in a very artile style and this was a film that he made for the nikatsu um studio system who are probably released really synonymous for just making these sort of Yakuza movies but certainly when it came to the films of uh, Shijuku, um, he really was sort of gave them something that they found a little incomprehensible and it's a, little, certainly a lot more artistic than his other offerings that he had given to them but I mean this is a company that's known for not only Yakuza movies but also Pink Films as well and uh, more recently the Sushi Typhoon movie series as well but, um, I read Nakatu, one of your sort of studios, Stephen, or are they just someone you sort of dipping in and out of?
1: Um, i got to be honest, sort of, the Japanese cinema of this era is something I dip in and out of. Um, I guess they did the, um, the Stray Cat Rock series, yep. didn't they, as well? Sort of the bad girl films. Um, obviously I talked about them at some length when we were talking about Pink Cinema. Um, but they're not Toei, are they? <laughs> no, they're certainly not. <laughs> um, so I always I was, I was feel they're um, they're kind of important in genre cinema for sure. But I always feel like they're a bit second division.
0: Yeah, certainly so. Um, but I mean, certainly from when we look at. Uh... The career of uh, Suzuki. I mean, he's certainly a cult director to say the least, but he's also a director who's influenced the likes of Jim Jamoose, uh, Takachi Katano, Wonkawa, Quentin Tarantino in particular, um, drew heavy inspiration from Tonight's Selection when he was making Kill Bill. But, I mean, the film itself, it's. So, <laughs> I'm going to do my best here to try and explain this plot because this is a little bit of. Uh... A confusing one, but uh, the story itself it follows uh, Tetsuo Watari, who is a yakuza hitman uh, known as uh, the Phoenix Tetsu. Whose uh, boss has decided that he's going to retire and basically disband the gang and and set Tetsu free so he's free to sort of live a a life of freedom. At the same time a rival gang uh, led by boss uh, Atsuko decide to pull a property scam which uh, leads to uh, Tetsuo basically being forced into life as being a wanderer. At the same time he's having to force to evade a rival hitman known as the Viper Tatsuo who has uh, been sent to uh, kill him. The Film following um, Tetsu as he basically lives this dr- drifter-like existence before finally returning to Tokyo to face off against uh, the rival rival crime boss in a rather blistering showdown. Um, this is a film which uh, should be noted did make our top fifty films. Uh, all time back when we did episode 25 Uh, this was one of my picks and uh, this came in at number 34 and uh, I was kind of interested to revisit it because it's been a while since I watched it last and certainly with these films it's very much uh, like kind of like the uh, French New Wave cinema and the fact that it's very sort of artistic, it's very sort of avant-garde in places and very different than a lot of the other Yakuza movies of the time, um, which is sort of like more straightforward sort of violence and action. So certainly with uh, with his offerings to the genre, he he really did some really interesting things and certainly between this film and Branded to Kill, those are sort of like the two standout films of his filmography uh, of films that he did. But, Stephen, I mean, as a first-time watcher, what did you make of uh, Tokyo Drifter? Because I would have thought this would have been up your sort of alley because, you know, this is a little highbrow, a little classy.
1: You you, 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 you would have thought so, wouldn't you? You would have thought this is a Stephen-type pick and, <laughs> that, and, and, and that that, I, I would be a big fan mm. of it. Unfortunately, I couldn't get into this movie at oh, all. that's a shame. Um, I, I couldn't, uh, how can I explain this? The component parts of the film I enjoyed immensely. I love the soundtrack. I love that kind of 60s, 70s, jazzy thing, feel that it had going on. And there are individual moments of utter beauty in it. Scenes, the way they're shot, the way that they're put together, um... Uh, the surreality of stuff like stuff in the nightclub which is clearly the tv studio but but the stuff in the snow which is really beautiful looking and i can imagine looks fantastic on the big screen but in terms of the narrative it's like it's been edited by somebody with epilepsy <laughs> and, and 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 things don't flow now i know that was the point that's a deliberate it, it, that's not out of incompetence that's a that's an artistic decision and it's been influenced by surrealism and by avant-garde, and, and and it's by design. But what it meant was there's a very very simple story here. There's a yakuza fella that's been let go, and then he he has another another hitman tries to kill him, and he wanders around, and he likes being lonely, and doesn't get up, doesn't meet the girl in the end because because he's a man and just wants to wander around. <laughs> it's very simple stuff, but the but the the, 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 the the traversing between scenes, during scenes, I I just couldn't follow it. And I ended up actually getting really bored. So whilst, whilst my ears and my eyes were entertained, I couldn't dig this as a piece of cinema, if that makes yeah. sense.
0: It's interesting you obviously say that, because these are all the sort of queries I had when we looked at the terrorizers.
1: Uh, there were yang movies yeah it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting but this is this is far more stylized I mean the 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 yang movie I get that you didn't get because it was there was no you know, the yang movie didn't have a fantastic soundtrack for <laughs> one <laughs> no um and 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 I don't think it was as artsy and I just think I just think you know maybe there were reasons that you couldn't follow the story and I totally understand them with this I feel there is a, it's almost a willful decision on behalf of the director to make it hard to follow and 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 that in and of itself might not necessarily another another day be a bad thing i still want to see branded to kill yeah cinema shame for me and i'm still interested enough by this director to want to see more of it but this particular film you know it's got a criterion you know it's uh it, this is a this is a well regarded film and i'm beginning to you know like sometimes you tell me you feel a bit stupid because you don't understand what the fuss yeah. is about this this idea. i felt a bit elwood this week it's so <laughs> so <I was> like <laughs> and i was like i just don't get this at all because i've seen i've seen other films in this era other yakuza films other films that are from this period of of westernization of Japanese culture, yeah, um films like giants and toys and things like that and this this film very much feels like a western well literally a western doesn't it but but in a in a in a in a Japan a sort of mid sixties Japan that's really embracing western culture um in terms of you know jazz clubs and and the c- types of cars and just the way. The sort of is this 1964? Is this made no 1969? Is no, it 66? 66, 66. So, so this is post Tokyo Olympics. This is post when when Japan has re re-ad, advertised itself to the world. You know, after the war, there were 20 years dark times, and then 64 was a chance to show themselves to the world because you know, just like this year, it was an Olympic year, and Tokyo and especially change. And so, it, it feels very much in that vogue. But whilst those other films, I revelled in the sixtiesness of, of of Tokyo. This film, I I didn't revel in it at all. It's very strange. Am I alone in thinking this? Am I stupid? It's
0: it's a very abstract film. I mean, it's it's strange as well the fact that when you look at this film, I mean, it has got all the sort of setups to be sort of like a roaring sort of yakuza film. You know, something like um, Detective Sixty Six, go to hell, you bastards. That sort of um, the sort of, like, Yakuza boo movies he was making for, like, Nakatsu before he sort of decided to go art house on them, and they basically, when he got to making this film, they warned him, like, continuously, you know, tone it, tone it back. Stop, like, trying to reinvent the wheel, and just make us something more traditional, but at the same time, he would just, like, Every time they told him not to do something, basically he just went and pushed against it and went and did the complete opposite. And so we see here with between himself and the art director, uh, Takeno Kimura, they basically, with this film, uh, they just like constantly keep pushing it to like new heights of like surrealist and their certainty, especially when we get into like the whole shootouts, um, like when we have like um, the double cross shootout that he goes to and it's sort of as a it's almost like you're watching a play and we get to the final shootout as well and it's got this very sort of like abstract lighting elements to it it's not like a traditional this more traditional sort of shootout like we see sort of like in the middle portion or when we see we look at the bar fight sequence that happens before he makes his like return to Tokyo mm. um, and I mean let's also just look at our hero for a start I mean here we have a hero whose choice of dress is a baby blue suit with white shoes. So if you're going out committing crimes and especially if you're a hitman, I don't think a powder blue suit is
1: really sort of like what you go out to do it in. It's not shiny enough for a proper yakuza. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's um and, and and I see, you know, some people who talk about this, this is this is parodying the genre um but it's not funny <laughs> it's just weird <laughs> and it's like um remember when we talked about the the pink films so nakatsu very much you know that, that 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 they were cheap rough and ready movies that basically the directors were allowed to run free and try things and and some of those films are quite avant-garde and, and, and surreal but They only last an hour, and and their budget is minuscule. Um, Whereas this is trying, this is this is designed to be a top rank film. Even though I think they absolutely cut the budget from him on this because he's got um he's got previous, I think, (laughs) and and then that would actually play itself out in conclusion in in Branded to Kill where. He never worked again, or he didn't work for Nakatsu again, or if he did, it was it was a, it was a long time.
0: Yeah, I mean, basically between this this film and Branded to Kill, it saw him being blacklisted by Nakatsu, So the work after afterwards was mainly in television until he obviously got a chance like ten years later to make Pistol Opera, which, as I said already, is just basically a gender swap version of Brandon to Kill. But it's ironic that the two films that would lead to him being blacklisted are the ones which are sort of his most highly regarded work. And I think you may like go better with Branditico. I think it's a more sort of straightforward movie. It's got still those surreal moments in the fact that you've got a hitman who's got a rice obsession. So he like goes and sees his girlfriend and has like really sort of sleazy, steamy sex. And he's at the same time he's asking her to go make him rice. And he's
1: like constantly smelling rice and stuff it's and and maybe that's what this film lacks this film lacks uh a more outlandish sort of uh, quirk to it uh, yeah it, it lacks a quirkiness absolutely i mean quirk, quirky in japanese cinema can, can often go together quite well and you know especially if we look at more modern stuff you know the the Machine girl and yeah. things like that, yeah. Where, where, where there's there's a high concept, it's low budget, but it's charming. That's what this. That's the word I'm struggling for. This film lacks charm, but again, I've got to stress there are the individual components are beautiful. <laughs> just, you know, the the black and white sequence at the yeah. beginning is beautiful. The the scenes in the nightclub, the fights, the shootouts, the stuff in the snow is beautiful. It's just the story's utterly unengaging and the way it's connected together is obstructive to enjoyment. It's like um it's like a really beautiful jigsaw puzzle that you don't have all the bits for. Yeah. <laughs> And, and 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 yes, it lacks it lacks charm and it lacks quirkiness. Um and I'm I feel in a difficult place because I really wanted to like it. You're not wrong, mate. This is a Stephen film, yeah. <laughs> this the professor should be putting this on his top fifty films and I did not I did not connect with it at all. It's
0: I think when you look at this film, I mean it's really just sort of like you're looking at it for those sort of standout sequences rather, as, rather than viewing it as a whole which is a weird thing to say because normally when you look at film you look at film as a whole but when you, for this film it's to really sort of experience those sequences and I think the fact here we have him obviously working around the fact he's his budget's been cut because the Nakatsu boss basically thought that if we cut his budget we're going to be able to reel him in he's going to have to deliver something more akin to what we want but of course it didn't really work that way for it, with uh, with him and he obviously goes off and makes this really bizarre film but at the same time you have those sort of standout sequences um, such as the the scene where you've got the, the, the girlfriend who's um, sitting in the rocking chair like laughing to herself and she gets sort of caught in the crossfire and uh does that that she's like uh, giggling away while it's all going on and then that sudden like silence um it, it's just uh there's uh i don't know it's just very it's very hard to explain i mean even when we like look at the nightclub role uh in sort of like the third real and just the minor act which sets it off we just have like two rowdy gang members who are coming on trying to harass the um american hostess who's who's uh, singing and doing a little bit of uh, slap and tickle with her Feather Dance. And uh, you've got these two these two uh, mobsters who get a little rowdy, and then suddenly the whole bar, for no apparent reason, breaks into this Western-style brawl, which I couldn't actually tell how much of it was actually supposed to be happening, because it seems to be parts of the set which are collapsing because people have fallen into them, rather than rather <laughs> than they actually was intended for
1: them to fall down. Yeah, I mean, so just just keep on, <coughs> just keep the film going, guys. Just keep, guys. Rolling, just keep, keep on filming it. Yeah, keep rolling. Yeah, very much. Um, so, and
0: what's when we look at the the hero here? I mean, he was, <laughs> he's out. There's a scene where he's sort of like a, he sort of announces his presence by singing the theme tune to the film. Uh, which the the rival gangsters sort of hill hill and I wasn't sure whether they're supposed to hear him to singing or him and his full or orchestra that he seems to be accompanied with
1: yeah I mean that the, the song is is repeated numerous times isn't it <laughs> in the in the film but yeah it's it's bizarre and but it's willfully bizarre um and 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 I think. Yeah, again, I feel like I'm repeating myself a lot, but this is all by design. This is this is what the director wanted to show. <laughs> I just, I'm not sure he wanted to entertain. But
0: yeah, it's. Uh, I'm really interested. I mean, I would really love to to hear from someone who like who give, one of these people gives it sort of like a five-star writing on, on, on Letterboxd and stuff. Because I know there are people out there who absolutely adore this movie in the same way that there are people out there who love the French New Wave, which for myself is another mm. sort of, It's a genre of cinema which is just completely lost to myself, yet at the same time, ironically, I love the cinema to look movement, which is people like Besson and films like Diva, which followed in the wake of the uh, French New Wave movement. Um, so... And I think that's probably why I like this movie because it plays into many of the sensibilities of the cinema to look movement where it's a lot of style over substance. It's shooting things that are beautiful and interesting to look at just because they are rather than worrying about the contextualness. And I can't kind of help but wonder if, the, if he hadn't had his budget slashed like what we would have got here, perhaps something a little more coherent, perhaps something that would be a little more to your taste even. so.
1: And, and, and to be fair um, the that budget slash has caused some of the connect you know it, 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 I just again looking on the Wikipedia about it you know it does you know clearly someone has said look the scenes we couldn't do were the bits the joining up scenes <laughs> so so I guess he decided I'll just do my action stuff and I and 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 the, and the main best. a bit like reading a manga sometimes I feel like that when I read manga that it, it, ma- manga is is paced completely differently to to Western comics in that it, it feels like not very much happens in an entire volume, but scenes are played out in great detail, and that's a bit. And, and so you can't always piece it together easily when you're reading it month by month. That's a bit like how I felt about this film: is as, a, well, where, where, how did I get here? But well, this is pretty cool. But oh wait, what's going on there? And yeah, and it did it. Maybe it's just a Japanese thing, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I do know, because I've watched a lot of Japanese films and none of them have ever really made me feel like this. Uh, the one film, uh, I don't think we've talked about it as, as part of a pod, but we've we've certainly mentioned it numerous times, is, is *Houseu*. Yes. And Su comes from a very similar time to this. It's a very avant-garde, very experimental mental film but has charm and has quirkiness and makes some kind of sense <laughs> at least within itself <laughs> at least which which just sucks but I, I just don't think there's very much missing for this film that could have made it great okay because it's because because our lead character is pretty cool yeah right he's like this baby-faced assassin sort of fellow and he's pretty cool and he's um and, and he's pretty dangerous. And the other guy, the the, the what's it called? The what was he the Viper or something? The Viper is his uh, rival. Yeah, it's, it doesn't yeah. help the fact yeah. that you got
0: two, <laughs> you've got two characters who are essentially named the same thing. It's like yes. it's like in Lord of <laughs> Rings we got Sauron and so- Sauron Saruman? Yeah, yeah I which I always like, like no felt like Lord the Lord most laziest writing <laughs> possible if you've got two <laughs> characters who
1: are named pretty much the same thing. So hmm but uh yeah it, you know it, i can i can see there is a fantastic film and so therefore i can understand why there are people who adore this film that is why it's got a criterion edition that's why you picked it to be in our you know in our top 50 films there's and, and i can imagine if younger Stephen saw this in the 80s yeah. without I would have been blown away by it because I would never have seen a film like this before, structured this way with this multiple different things going on. I do wonder that if yeah, if if I'm actually being hurt because I've seen so many other films and, and rather than this feeling unique, this just feels like well, I've seen this done before but better. Don't know. Okay. That that's how I'm ex- that's that that's how I'm excusing myself. That's fine. Old age old
0: age. <laughs> it's very hard to say w- whether Criterion Wooly sort of brands a film as being of quality or whether it's just more of a, of, of being of um, sort of cinematic history. Note, really. I mean, when you look at the fact that they've got pretty much every Wes Anderson movie has got a Criterion release. Mm. Um, and I think the Coen Brothers as well, it's sort of like why does every Coen Brothers movie need a Criterion release?
1: And hasn't RoboCop got a Criterion I release? I don't know about I RoboCop. I know that uh, Videodrome does. There are a couple. There are a couple of strange ones. Although, as I understand it, they're quite deliberate in order to make money, so they can fund. <laughs> these these ones so occasionally you'll find you'll find some really strange spine numbers out there and you think why and then it's because yeah they're they're not a charity (laughs) no
0: i only have one criterion in my collection and
1: that's spine 1000 so and what's that godzilla collection (laughs) of course (laughs) Uh, No, i've got i've got a few i've got um I, um, I've got this. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> this is what I. This is what I bought to watch it on. <laughs> um the <a> classy copy. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's got has got a fantastic poster. Oh, like, good. You know, it's a real, a real, you know, real cover, great cover, real, um, a real of the time, sixties pop arty kind of cover. So again, and that really that appeals to me. I love that. To- As we'll talk about when we go to. um when we go to other recommendations this is not an era of cinema and certainly of japanese cinema that i'm against at all so uh yeah but yeah yeah i i i i hate i hate it that i don't love it i hate myself but i know why i don't love it so. you might even you I said okay. just let you just
0: gotta, now. you've seen it once you can just let it simmer like a good stew
1: um, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll like it more the second.
0: It's time I, as I say, I don't know. You may, you may. <coughs> it's it's hard to. I think there's certain films out there you sort of like. Sometimes you don't get it on the first sort of pass, and mm. then you go back into it, and certain things sort of stand out more to you. It or you perhaps find yourself in a different mood to it. And I say we're Tokyo Drift, it as I said, we're talking adrift, as I said, I'm not for myself. It's. Um, it's more sort of like it's this there's certain sequences rather than the film as a whole which is why i rate it so highly and yeah i mean it's kind of weird if for a film not to be like perfect all the way through to have it listed in our top 50 but at the same time i feel that it's it definitely deserves its uh place and it's because of what it's it's important it's not only in the career of uh suzuki but um azuka even so but um also what it and just uh what it what it's doing in this it's like visual and it's how it's choosing to tell the story that it does i think it's just a a really some sort of interesting movie but i can understand it not being too old taste so but then again i sp- i kind of feel the same way that um someone posed the question earlier today it was sort of like what's um, a director who you who you, you should love, but you don't, and I always feel the same. Like One I feel I should be like more excited about One K Y, especially because of Tarantino being such a huge fan of his work. And I just it took what three attempts to do Chunking Express, and I mean it was only with really thanks to the show that I finally sat down and watched the whole thing after like years of failing to get what the uh, fuss was about. So,
1: and 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 I don't think you would have enjoyed it as a nineteen-year-old. Yeah. I, I think the... In, yeah. Wong Kui Wai in, in particular, I think, although I think some of the movies he's made, like In the Move for Love, to me, that's a gateway movie. That's a movie where I, sh- I can show somebody who doesn't like Asian cinema and say, hey, look at this Hong Kong film. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it beautiful? Isn't not it isn't it touching? But I wonder if i really you know i I wonder if that is true that's just how i've always felt and i've written articles about this but i wonder it it depends where the person that is viewing it where they are in their maturity as a human being in terms of their understanding of cinema and blah 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 you know let's not get too (laughs) um let's not get too highbrow about this but some, some sometimes films don't resonate with you on the first watch or the second watch or the third watch but then suddenly suddenly it will click because of something that's happened in your life or some other films that you've seen or you've had a different avenue to understanding it. I think One Car is definitely one of them. I, um, I'm looking forward to one day we'll watch Ashes of Time. Okay? Well, Ashes of Time, we do, at least. Because <laughs> I couldn't fucking stand that film. <laughs> but I watched that a long time before, you know, before I had seen many of the wuxia films many of the leslie chung films now many of these people that i didn't know when i saw it i didn't i didn't have the the tools to work out what it was um and now i wonder if i'd enjoy it more the same way i love the assassin which i think is unwatchable if you don't have those tools (laughs) But I, but I love it, and I know you're going to hate it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's just just your ability to consume cinema and sometimes be impacted by you and where you are, definitely. And so. What you're able to get out of it. <laughs> it's fine. That was a bit deep, wasn't it? <laughs> okay.
0: Um. Anything else, then This one you want to discuss?
1: No, I, 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 I think I've said the same thing three times. So I won't say it a fourth time. Um, this just, I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated because I can see so many good things in mm-hmm. it.
0: But I know I that I it feels a little that we've uh, it. It perhaps feels a little short on this one, but I think it's one of the things you have to. the, it, it, it's more that there's a lot more to sort of experience than there is to discuss, I think it's more of an experience than a film to discuss, which is something that's become apparent now as we've come to discuss it, but obviously if there's people who want to share your thoughts on it, please do, you can get in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter uh, Twitter, we're at, at ACFilmClub we're also on Instagram, and you can also uh, let us know on our blog which is Asian Cinema AsianCinemaFilmClub.wordpress.com and uh, yeah, definitely let us know what you think of uh, Suzuki's work, or uh, this film in particular, and uh, let us know what you, you think. Um, but further viewing, Stephen, I mean, what would you pair with this? Because I've got a couple of films that I would recommend respect by Suzuki that uh, are worth checking out. I mean, I would... Well,
1: okay. Why don't we start with yours? Because I've got, I've got three films which are not Suzuki films. Um... They are yeah. of this time in Japan sort of film, <laughs> so maybe my I'm stretching this okay. let's start with yours um, I think the link will be tighter. so well, first
0: off the one I want to uh would would say would be go to start with uh nineteen sixty threes detective bureau twenty three go to hell bastards um this is one of his Yakuza boo movies that he was um he was making for Nakatsu at the time before his he really sort of broke out as a director. I think it's a really fun movie and you can find it on as part of uh Arrow's player on um on Amazon if you've got got if you want to pay the extra or take the trial there you can uh, check it out it is streaming on there but they've also got a physical release as well. I think it's a really fun Yakuza movie. It's not as heavy or as stylish as this one but at the same time it brings he brings a lot of uh, fun to fun to the film. Um, released the same year and considered by many to be his breakout film, though, we're going to next go to, also in 1963's Youth of the Beast. Um, this is a... Again, it's another Yakuza movie uh, where a detective adopts the persona of a thug to play two Yakuza bosses off against each other. This one really saw him come into his own, both in terms of his style and just how the film um, is, is really sort of put together. It's very much more... It's very much more a traditional Suzuki movie than the films which came before it. And um, I believe this one is also available through Criterion as well. And uh, obviously the other film that I'm going to recommend as well is obviously Branded to Kill, which... For my money, it's easier to uh, get into than Tokyo Drifter. I mean, it was released in 1967 and uh, has the um, wonderful tagline review of uh, Way Beyond Cult on uh, the release. That I've got that one, so which I think is perfectly suited up, but it's very much in the a similar style to like The Samurai. Um, here we've got uh, two rival hitmen who are pitted against each other. Um, as a guru hanada who is a sort of lifelong contract killer falls in love with a uh, woman who um, is recruiting for a seemingly impossible mission when the mission fails he becomes hunted by this phantom number one killer whose methods seem to be based around as much about threatening his life as it does his sanity so it's a really bizarre and kind of out there movie, but at the same time, it's a lot more coherent than Tokyo Drifter and um, has some really nice sort of visual flair to it. It's shot completely black and white. And uh, it's a film that uh, is constantly sort of cited as this uh, inspiration for, as we mentioned, the likes of Jim Jarmusch and uh, John Woo, Park Chan Wu, Quentin Tarantino. And... Uh, If you do enjoy it, you can also check out his sort of comeback movie from 2001, which is Pistol Opera. uh, Which is seen as kind of a loose sequel, but it's more just uh, basically a gender swap version of Branded to Kill.
1: But Stephen, what about yourself? Okay, so none of these are Yakuza movies. (laughs) None of these are Suzuki movies, but to me they're all representative of this time this this kind of exciting time in japan um where it was you know as i spoke about earlier about trying to re-advertise itself to the world where as a country it suddenly opened to western influences obviously we've had the the americans there as a not quite an occupying force, but certainly the military have been based there, and their their culture has subsumed into into Japan, and Japan is beginning to open its doors. Um, it's beginning to open its doors to things you know, like the Beatles and stuff like that, um, and to rock and to rock music even before you know. Uh, old sort of rock and roll that's the word um and this is where you get things like nintendo starting and and sega and all these these companies are all influenced by that 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 american influence and then advertising itself outwards again um so the first film i want to talk about is um uh comedy from 1958 so it's a little bit before this but but very much the start of this this examination of Japan, Japanese culture looking in on itself it's a film by um, uh, Yazuzo Masamura called giants and toys um, it's a it's a comedy set in the world of business um, it's really funny and 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 is as true today as it ever was um, the 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 elevator pitch is there's a couple of uh, uh, companies that make sweets uh, candies as our American friends would say and they find a girl to lead their promotional campaign but she's a tomboy and she's got terrible teeth (laughs) heck she could be english and the, the 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 thing is is that as she as the campaign is more successful and she gets more famous she becomes harder to work with and it pokes fun at japanese business and the way um Way that they do business, even though it hasn't really changed, but it's really entertaining. But it's a very, it's a very pop arty kind of film, and, and really highly recommended. And if it was easier to get hold of, I'd have bought it to the show sometime. But I think yeah. it might—I can't even remember—I got to see a copy of it. Um, the next one is a documentary. Um, I kind of mentioned it before, so it's a 1965 um, documentary by Kon Ichikiwa. Um a Tokyo Olympiad um which is a documentary about the Tokyo Olympics but is really interesting so rather than being all about the events you know and uh, they always have like like the FIFA World Cup they always have a film they always have a an Olympics film and, and and historically up to this point they'd all been and here's the 100 meters and here's somebody winning and here's the you know um and, and I've, I guess the famous one is um is the nineteen thirty six one, the Olympia by Lenny Riefenstahl. So it's 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 that kind of movie. But it concentrates far more on the athletes and their stories and and, and again it kind of advertises Tokyo, the sixties Tokyo to the world and it's saying, Hey look, we've survived imperialism we survived the war we survived a nuclear bomb and now look we're not that different to you and it's it's one of the best documentaries of all time um and um originally it was going to be done by Akira Kurosawa but con uh, yeah. Ichikawa Ichi, god I can't say his name Ichikawa who also has gone went on to to great things or indeed had done great things this time it just it's just it's just of the time. So that, that's a that, that's a Zeitgeist movie. There's a couple of Zeitgeist movies. And then more in more in line with the film we've just watched tonight, is the nineteen seventy um it goes by a number of names. I know it was Stray Cat Rock Delinquent Girl Boss, but it's also known as Alley Cat Rock female boss and female juvenile delinquent leader. <laughs> Alley cat rock wild cat rock. It's got a lot of names. It's got our old friend um uh, Miyako Kaji in it. Um, it's one of these sort of bad girl movies that Nakatsu did a few of. Um, I think this is in the, there's five in this, and Elwood's going to remind me that I have a Blu-ray set from Arrow. I've got the... Minutes. No, I've got the straight and... Cat Rock ones. It's the <laughs> Female Prisoner Scorpion <laughs> yeah. one I didn't get. Ah, uh, you've got this one. It's the other one. That's right. So, but actually, and, and also Female Prisoner Scorpion. that They're of this time, and they are quite experimental. There are some weird things going on some strange camera angles but there's this this one in particular they go to clubs and the clubs play rock and roll and it's very not traditional Japanese stuff and the role of the these women are scary and they'll cut you with a knife and um they'll ride around on motorbikes and even the lead actress in this um Akiko Wada is the I mean, she was a pop singer, but she's—I um, if I remember right—is she not half Korean or something like that? She's a very unusual-looking Japanese woman, and this—this this is this is from sixty-nine, seventy. Again, it's it's how Japanese, is, Japan, and the Japanese certainly in terms of their art and in terms of their culture are changing. Um, and there's some weird crap going on. It's more easy to make sense of. Um, it's not as arty. But it's definitely in the same Nakatsu um group. So yeah. Three very different films there, but I think are an interesting part of Japanese cultural history and you know, one of the as we talked about in our in our write up on the uh, on the podcast of the week thing, you know, we're not just interested in Akira yeah. Kurosawa films. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the, the, there's other stuff going on at this time which is which makes it kinda unique and different. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. Um, Well, that brings us to the end of another edition of the Asian Cinema Film Club. We hope you've enjoyed listening as always. Uh, If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe buttons and uh, maybe leave us a review. It all helps raise the profile of the show. Uh, Much like following us on our social media platforms, we're on Facebook, which is our main sort of hangout. Uh, You can come on there and join the uh, conversation. We post interesting news articles and other fun bits and pieces on there you can also follow us on twitter which is at ac film club we're on instagram and you can also check out our blog which is asian club. wordpress.com and uh yeah we uh, check out our full archive on there we've got the movie vault on there we've got the mixtapes we've got the complete archive of uh, work on there so uh definitely give that a look as well but uh Stephen, it is your pick what is your whatever what are you going to choose next
1: Well, as you intimated earlier, it is Oscars night, and um, obviously uh, uh, Bong Joon-ho is is, is rightly getting some some credit. So I thought, (coughs) what better time to bring a a Bong Joon-ho film to the table? And as I keep saying, I must have said for about three podcasts running now, I don't think Parasite's his best work. My memory tells me that Mother from okay. 2009 is my favourite Bong Joon Ho film. I am wonder, I am wondering if revisiting it is going to be interesting. Um, but I'd, I'd yeah I'd really like to bring Mother to the table. Um, it's got a it, you know it, it, it's a Bong Joon Ho film so it, it comes with a certain element of quality. Um, it's got an astonishing performance from Kim Hyo ja who up to this point was a TV actress and basically. has has always been a mum and something like that so this is this is a very late era thing and also makes number two in our five (laughs) one bin films so (laughs) we we are going to cover all five of his films i think in the next uh, before episode five before episode 100 i think so we can we can get that scorecard knocked off but again really interesting performance for him very different to what we saw him in in the man from nowhere
0: um Mother I've seen a while ago, so it's gonna be interesting to obviously go back and and revisit, especially because it's one that uh, you, you do talk very highly of. But I feel for some reason I cannot, I never really sort of place it as um, being one of his works. But then again, with Bong Joon Ho, it's it's sort of only recently with like the lights of Snowpiercer that I've sort of come to appreciate it more because I didn't get the host,
1: which everybody loved as well. So. So, so so this one is was kind of buried in between the host, which was was 2006. It was in all that in that J- Japanese and Korean. Genre cinema, you know, we call it the yeah. J horror thing, K horror thing, but there was more than that, wasn't it? The, but this kind of this kind of recognition of films from those two countries. So the host sort of, oh, there's a monster movie from South Korea, and it's got CGI in it, and it's got some pretty good actors in it, and 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 that was a big thing. And that was, you know, it's got a tartan cinema DVD, and then of course there was Snowpiercer, which was well for many of us in the uk it was a great white whale <laughs> that, that we could never see I and mean, i was lucky enough to see it in another country i had no idea when i saw it in 2013 that i wouldn't be um i wouldn't be able to see yeah, it in the exactly. uk for another five or six years um um but i think mother mother got kind of hidden between the two it wasn't um it was more of a it was more of a f- film um festival kind of thing Rather than something that got released ever, that it did get released over here, because I know that because I bought a copy today, um, I, I had I had the Korean DVD, but I thought I'd have some decent subtitles if we're going to review it. Um, but yeah, kind of kind of hidden away between between the host and Snowpiercer. Um, I was thinking of going to Memories of Murder because that's uh, or indeed barking dogs never bite. But I thought I thought Mother's probably one that most of our audience probably hasn't seen. Because it's not quite so famous, but I do think it's his strongest movie. And a f- anyway, <laughs> I won't do the podcast now. Let's Great. do it next time.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Well, uh, obviously that's uh, coming up in our next episode. Um, so hope you can join us for that. But uh, thank you as always for listening, and thank you to my co Stephen. Pleasure as always, sir. And we will be back next time, looking at Mother. But until next time, good night. 昨日の恋は忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ月が砕け散っても星が燃えて落ちても踊り続けていたい夜なのさ胸「I